So I, I wonder this morning, what kind of miracle would it take for you to never doubt God again? What kind, what kind of miracle would it take? I mean, if you were to witness water turning into wine, would that do it? If, if you witnessed a lame man or woman that had never walked a step in their life and you watched them get up and take those first steps, would that be enough for you to never doubt God again? Maybe, maybe the Rockies winning the World Series, would that, would that do it for you? Maybe, maybe there's hope, I don't know, probably not, but maybe. You know, you know, there's been some really cool and crazy amazing miracles that happened in the Bible. We, we read about the things that Jesus accomplished, and, it, and it's mind-blowing. And I think it would have been so awesome to be there firsthand to witness these things. And you know, I, I've never experienced water turning into wine. I've never seen a, a basket full of a couple loaves of bread being multiplied to feed three or 5,000 people. I've never seen that happen. Uh, and I'm still waiting for people to laugh at my jokes. So I am still clinging to hope that there will be those kind of miracles in my life. Um, but I've had some cool things happen to me. You know, I've, I've had words spoken into my life, prophecy spoken over, over me. In fact, 10 years ago, I guess it would have been 10 years ago this spring in 2010, uh, at our previous church, I had a gentleman that was in the leadership come up with his wife. This was like early May, and they asked if they could pray for me. And, and a, little, a little insight into that time of my life, I, I was in a period where I just didn't know if I was ever going to get married. I was 30 years old, and I, and I know like it sounds like some sad story, oh, Brian, you're never going to get married. But I mean, truly and deeply, I wondered, and I didn't know. And God was taking me through this season of purification, and he was taking me through a season in which he needed me to understand that I needed to, to find fulfillment in God instead of finding fulfillment in a woman. And so I'm in this journey, and I'm like, this started in around January. So it's May, and a gentleman came up with his wife and said, can we pray for you? I said, of course you can pray for me. So they, they lay hands on me, and they prayed, and they prayed a prophetic word that very soon I would meet my wife. Okay? I bet you can guess how this turns out. So thir within 30 days, I met Jill. Within less than a year, we were engaged, and 16 months later, we were married. Now, you may look at that story and say, yeah, that might have been a, a matter of coincidence. Just kind of, I mean, anybody could have come along at any time and said, you're going to meet your wife, and then it could have happened. But you know what? If you're me and you're in my shoes and you know what I was going through, that wasn't coincidence. That was all God using a spoken word and a revelation that he gave to somebody for me so I've experienced that, and that wasn't the only time in my life. You know, I've also heard God speak to my spirit. I've, I've heard him speak to me in a season uh, 2000, this had to be late 2006 going into 07. I had taken custody of my little sister. I think many of you heard this story. She was a 14-year-old bipolar teenager, and God blessed me with the opportunity to raise a 14-year-old at the age of 25. And I get a phone call one day that she had refused to go to school. She was giving my grandmother absolute fits who was trying to take care of her and provided the home life. And another part of the story is, is that I was days away from reporting to training camp with the Chicago Rush. I was under contract playing arena football, making pretty good living. We had just won a world championship. And I'm ready to go. It's like early January. But to give you even more context in this time in my life, I had just gone through a horrible relational battle with my trainers that had trained me for eight years. I felt hurt and betrayed, and I felt alienated by them. And this was all happening 
at one point in time. And if you want to get even more crazy, it's like two days from training camp. I step out on the bed one morning, and I, I turn, and I step out, and I put my foot down, and I cannot walk. I mean, I can't even put pressure on my ankle. Mind you, I didn't, I didn't have an injury. I didn't cause anything to damage my ankle, but I can't walk. And I'm like, this is, this is crazy. This is probably one of the worst times of my life. My heart's broken. My body hurts. Emotionally, I'm just, I'm about as depleted as there is. And God spoke to me in that moment. He said, you're done playing football. What? What? No, I don't think so. Yeah, you're done. So out of embarrassment and dejection, I sneak into the training facility early before everybody got there one morning, grabbed my cleats, and took them home. And I was done. I was done playing football. And I think many of you have heard the finish of that story. It has a very redemptive ending there. That, wasn't, that was just the beginning of a new journey in life. But I've, I've heard God speak in my spirit, and I've heard him say to me, you're done playing football. And I, I humbled myself, and I submitted myself to that request. And so, you know, I, I haven't seen any, like, these, these kind of maybe crazy biblical miracles. But I, I would say that if we were to add up, or if I was to add up, every single answered prayer that God has answered in my life, the sum of all of those prayers, probably hundreds of them, that sum total would probably make many of these other miracles pale in comparison. I'm talking about prayers of healing for my family. I'm talking about being on the last dollar and God giving us breakthrough and growing our businesses. And I've seen it over and over again, and I'm, I'm sure you have too, and I think we tend to forget those answered prayers. Those are miracles, you guys. Those are miracles from God. We had a home group for, we still have a home group for many years. There was, there was a weekly basis where, I promise you, every prayer was answered. And we would look at each other and go, how is this even possible? We forget those things. I don't know, maybe some of you have experienced a, a miracle of biblical proportions. You know, the, the kind of undeniable, out-of-this-world thing where you, you knew that from that point on that God was not just some emotional, religious figment of your emotional mind. He made himself real and evident to you, and you've never turned back. Maybe that's why you're listening today. But so many others just struggle to get a grasp on God because we can't see him. You can't see God. You may see evidence of God, but you can't see him. And so we can't see God, and many people have reached out to God and asked for a miracle that didn't happen. And there are other people that have had a life-changing incident, and they reached out to God, but they didn't reach out to him to invite him into their lives. They reached out to him to let him know how angry they were with him for what he allowed to have happen in their lives, to make sure he's well aware that they will never follow him after what he's done. And yet, I wonder, even if we did witness like the parting of the Red Seas, if we were there with Moses, or if we were there with Abraham and Sarah, witnessed a hundred-year-old woman give birth to a child, or whatever that would look like, you know, I just wonder, would that be enough to change our willingness and our desire to follow God 100% wholeheartedly? What's interesting is that if there are people all over the world, atheists, believers in other religions, agnostics, who acknowledge that Jesus Christ walked the earth and that he performed all these miracles that we read about, they believe that. And people that watch Jesus perform these miracles, the, the religious uh, leaders in that time, and many other people watched the miracles happen, and guess what? They still denied Jesus. They still denied him. And so the, Jesus performed many miracles, but in addition to that, he also made several very important statements 
starting with the phrase, I am. That's what we've been learning about lately. The the statements that Jesus uh, made and the claims he made about who he was. He said, I am. And today we're going to look at a couple more of those claims. And so I, I want to begin with the story of Lazarus. And we, we see this story in, in the Gospel of John in chapter 11. Now I'm, I'm going to tell you a little bit, of, I'm going to set this story up. So Mary and Martha, two ladies we read about in the New Testament, they were, they were friends of Jesus. And this Mary, just to kind of connect the dots for you, do you remember the lady that poured the expensive perfume over Jesus and then washed his feet with her hair? And she caught a lot of flack for using the expensive Versace cologne on Jesus. Do you, do you remember that story? That was, that was Mary that we're talking about here and, and then her sister Martha. Now, they had a brother named Lazarus. And Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were all very good friends of Jesus. They might be like in his home group, so to speak, like his inner circle. Okay, so they dispatch a messenger to go to Jesus, who was a, a few towns over, and, and they said, hey, Jesus, our brother Lazarus is very sick. We need you to come. We know you can heal him. So Jesus decided that he was going to stay back where he was for a couple of extra days. And finally, the timing was right. Jesus reached out to his disciples and said, hey, guys, we got to go. we got to go wake Lazarus up. The disciples are like, what do you mean wake him up? He's sick. He needs some sleep. Let the guy rest. Jesus is like, no, nah, I don't think you know what I'm talking about. We need to wake him up. And so we're going to pick up here in, in verse 17. I kind of gave you the context of 1 through 10. Here's, or excuse me, 1 through 16. Here's what it says in 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, and Mary stayed home. Mary was grieving. Mary was dejected. She was hurt. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, if you had come, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. So Jesus said to her, you know what? Your brother's going to rise again. Martha answered, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I know that. But Jesus said back to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, going back to these miracles, and this specific miracle of Lazarus, and of course, he ends up raising Lazarus from the dead. We weren't there to, to, to see these things firsthand. I don't think any of us were there for any of these biblical miracles to happen. Now, we have to take them for, as truth, although we just read about them, right? We, we take them and accept them as truth. And notwithstanding any experiential moment that you have with God where God makes himself present and known to you, all of that aside, everything that you and I believe, our entirety of our existence hinges on one event, and that's the resurrection of Jesus. So if you're new to the whole God and church and Jesus thing, I want to to give you a little bit of a history lesson. At the beginning of creation, God, you know, he made the earth and the sky and the water, and he made the creatures, and he made Adam and Eve and all this stuff. And he made a place called the Garden of Eden. Many of us are familiar with that. And in the Garden of Eden, when when God set this whole thing up, he designed things to last a really long time. Like, you could surmise that he made things to last forever in the Garden. 
There was no decay, like plants didn't wilt, skin didn't sag. There was no colds or viruses. There probably wasn't any winter. And I can absolutely guarantee that people were not prematurely decorating for Christmas prior to Thanksgiving. I guarantee you that did not happen in the garden. Didn't happen. God wouldn't let that happen, I'm sure. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And if you're new to the resurrection of Jesus, I want to give you a little bit of a backstory on that as well. This man Jesus, we talked about a few minutes ago, that raised Lazarus from the dead. He, He himself was sent to the grave. They're estimating about two weeks after he raised Lazarus, Jesus is crucified. And and interestingly, he told all of his loved ones and his followers, he said, guess what? This is going to happen to me. I'm going to be captured by the Romans and and by the Pharisees and the leaders of this time. They're going to crucify me, and I'm I'm going to go to the grave. I'm going to die. And then he said, three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to rise up from the grave. He said he would be resurrected. The Greek word for resurrection is the word anastasis. Or if you're from Texas, Anastasis, that works fine too. But anastasis is a Greek word, and the, the translation literally means to stand up. So when Jesus said he was resurrected, resurrected from the grave, we're not talking about this body just evaporated and he just kind of like wasn't there anymore. Resurrection means that he stood up out of the grave. And, and I believe it was Mary that saw him first, which was really cool because in the times that the New Testament was written, these stories with the time of Jesus if you wanted the, the Bible to have any kind of credence and credibility, you probably wouldn't have chosen a woman to see him first. And the reason is, is because back then, the testimony of a woman was not as strong as the testimony of a man. Today, that's very much different. And, you know, I, I think we all understand that. But back then, that's how it was. So she sees Jesus and she says, no, that he is resurrected. He stood up out of the grave. She saw him. And if you're like me, I kind of, I mean, I I struggle with that. Like, what did that look what did that look like? And in fact, if you read on further in the story of Lazarus, you will see that it said that, that Lazarus came out of the tomb with like cloth wrapped around his hands and his head. It's kind of weird. I mean, if you're watching that, all his, his sisters are standing there, and here comes Lazarus walking out of the tomb, like looking like a mummy or something. I mean, that's what he would have looked like. That's kind of weird. That's like something out of those movies we shouldn't be watching, but. It's real, and it's kind of weird, though, to imagine Jesus who, I mean, I'm sure they checked his pulse, like, yeah, and they put a spear in his side. Like, he's, he's gone. He's not alive. And so, as I thought more about this, it kind of something that occurred to me is, is that the resurrection isn't all that weird if you, if you think about it. Like, we have a lot of signs of resurrection that happen all around us. What do you mean, Brian? Well, take, for example, when I was eight years old, um, I have family down in the Dallas, Texas area. I went down to visit them. And they had these little, little creatures, little lizards, little tiny guys. They were super fast. I called them lightning lizards. And, and my cousins and I would try to catch these lizards. And they were, they were really cool. They would change colors depending on what they were on. And they're kind of like chameleons. And so I, I, I saw this lizard on the, the wall of the garage. And I, you, know, you slowly approach it. You want to move too fast. And I reach out. And at some point, you just got to go for it. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what's going to happen. If I grab this dude, is he going to reach back and bite my finger? If I'm going to get like paralyzed, I don't know. So, like, kind of, so I reach and I grab this lizard, and right as I grab for him, he moves. And all I latched onto was his tail. So I'm holding this lizard, kind of freaking out. This lizard's like shaking everywhere. Next thing I know, lizard falls off the tail, falls to the ground, and here I am holding the tail of this lizard in my hand, 
blood and all. Like, oh my gosh, what the heck happened? And this lizard's like on the ground and it takes off running. I'm like, that's creepy. That is really weird. And my cousins educated me and they, they told me that that's actually like the way that the lizard was designed by God. It's a defense mechanism so that if a bird of prey or something comes to catch a lizard, gets it by the tail, the, lizard, the tail falls off the lizard and guess what? The tail grows back. Lizard can grow his tail back. I'm pretty sure if you and I lose an arm, it ain't growing back, okay? Somehow, God created that animal and put the information into the DNA inside of its cells to know that thing falls off, let's grow it back, okay? That just didn't happen, by the way, over millions of years of evolution. That lizard just didn't get smart enough. So yeah, I think I'm gonna grow my tail back. It didn't work that way, FYI. You want another example? So think about a, a perennial flower like a, what do they call them, a bulb? The bulb of the flower? Here's this inanimate object, this little circle, sphere. You put it on your table and you sit there for two, three, five years and it just sits there. Nothing happens. Dig a hole and you put it in the hole and give it some water. What happens? Life. How does something come from nothing? That, that thing doesn't have a pulse. It doesn't have, it's not alive. It's just a, it's just a little ball. Resurrection of life happens all around us. Somehow the Colorado Rockies show up every February from the grave and they come back and play a season. I have no idea how that happens. Resurrection. And you know what? Just like that perennial flower, you and I will experience death of our physical body. This is all going to go away, but, but not in our spirit. Spirit's never going to die. And if God chooses to take the dead whatever it is, the dead body and and keep our spirit alive and, and usher us into eternity with him, somehow he makes that work. And we're not going to understand the whole thing. And by the way, another thing you may not know, but when Jesus came out of the grave, he appeared in his resurrected form to over 500 people. 500 witnesses. And there is no more powerful testimony than an eyewitness account to any event. And that's still the case today in the modern court system. Eyewitness accounts always have more credibility than other testimonies. And so if, in fact, the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened, if that's true, then we know two things primarily. We know that Jesus is God and that God can be trusted because he did what he said he was going to do. And that's great news, amen? All right, so how many of you have ever had a lease, like a car lease or an apartment lease or anything like that? How many? Raise your hand. Okay. Most of us. Now, I, today I have several leases. We have several buildings that we rent in our businesses. And over the years, I've seen a lot of leases. Like, I'm pretty good at understanding them. And I'm not so bad at negotiating them either after all of these years. And you know that every lease has at least one common thread. You know what the common thread on pretty much every lease is? Money. Payment required. Pay your bills. Pay the rent. They require to pay you money. And I'm not sure if you figured this out yet, but life isn't guaranteed for any one of us. Tomorrow is not promised. Life is a temporary gift that God chooses to grant us as he so sees fit. But this lease that you and I have is going to expire one day, okay? There's an end date to our lease. But God, through Jesus Christ, gives us a new lease on life. And guess what? No payment required. He paid the price. Your lease is paid in full, there's no expiration date. It ain't never going to end. It's a forever lease. And guess what? That's called grace. 
But there is one, there's a contract, by the way, and there's one little section at the very, very bottom. It's really important, right by where you sign. And it says in fine print, it says, you don't owe me any money, but when you sign here, then you're accepting the responsibility to repent of your sins, acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and follow him every day and let him call the shots in your life. All you got to do is sign right here. Amen. Stamped, paid, done, done deal. But it's interesting because unfortunately, like that doesn't work well with a lot of people. That doesn't work well with a lot of people because people have a, a flawed thinking and we think that, that this life is heaven. We, we think this is as good as it gets. And you know what? Many people aren't willing to let go of the reins and let somebody else call the shots in their life. They're like, nah, I'm good. I'm good because what they see is, is reality. They're, 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 they can't fathom and they can't grasp that there is something else out there. There's something more to life, a new life, eternal life. But I also know that most of us, you and me, deep down, we struggle a little bit with death. Maybe some of us a lot like struggle with death. Maybe some of us are kind of flipping about it. But you know what? Deep down, every one of us struggle a little bit because I think that we know this life is going to end and we want to make the most of it. We want to live it up while we're here. And I think that causes a lot of problems. And what I mean by that is the philosophy that I call play now, pay later. And we do it all the time. We do it with our health. Say, I'm not going to eat right. I'm not, I don't really need to work out. I'm just, you know, I'm just going to just enjoy life as it is. And all of a sudden you get that phone call from your doctor or you get that dead issue. You look down one day and you're like, man, things have really changed. I better get my act together. And then we start paying attention. It might be a little bit late. And we also do that with our finances. Play now, pay later. I'm not going to worry about budgeting. I'm not going to worry about my savings. I'm not going to focus on retirement until I get later on in life and it becomes real. Like, hey, I'm getting kind of close to the end. Maybe I should pay a little bit of attention to that. And so in that sense, this is not a sermon about delayed gratification. But in another sense, this is absolutely a sermon about delayed gratification. So what such gratification are we being denied here, Brian, as we wait? Well, I'm glad you asked. Don't fall asleep. So we've established that the resurrection of Jesus proved Jesus was God, but the resurrection of Jesus also paved ways for some real benefits for you and me. For starters, the resurrection of Jesus assures us of God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness. Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, chapter 15, he writes, And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile. So we just talked about, if the resurrection didn't happen, everything that you and I believe, who cares? By the way, my uncle used to say something that I always thought was pretty profound. He said, Brian, let let me tell you this. He said, if eternal life really exists, or excuse me, he says, "If, if eternal life doesn't exist, and that's just some pie in the sky theory, and I follow the lead of this guy, Jesus, and I pursue God, at worst... I've lived a pretty loving, compassionate, meaningful life. If that's all that's said about me at my funeral, when I go to be in the ground in dust and I turn into ashes, and so be it. But he said, if there really is a resurrection and eternal life, by God, I want that. And I'm willing to do whatever I have to do to receive that gift of grace from God. Back on track. So if, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile because you're still in your sins. And then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ, they're lost. Everybody's passed on before. No hope for them. They're just decaying in the ground. And if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're all of people 
most to be pitied. Other religions look at us and go, yeah, good luck. So we're going to come back to that, if only for this life, in a little bit. But God's forgiveness gives us confidence in our past because our faith is not futile. What you and I believe is not worthless. And by the way, you don't have to remain in sin any longer. Every decision that you have made, every bonehead choice, every regret, every major letdown or burden that you caused somebody in your life, every bad decision, they're gone. They're gone forever. At ease, private, the war is over. Battle's done. And you need to hear this, that you are no longer slaves to sin and you are no longer identified by the sins that you have committed in your life. No longer. Jesus wiped it all away. The resurrection of Jesus, it assures us of God's forgiveness, but it also assures us of God's power. We'll take a look at Paul's letter to Ephesus in chapter 1, 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. Did you catch that? His inheritance and his great power is at hand. It's, it's right here for everybody who believes in Jesus Christ. And he says that power is the exact same power as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. You possess the exact same power that God used to raise Jesus and to raise Lazarus from the dead after they were dead in three and four days. So he's... So he raised Christ from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also the age to come. So why, why is this important? It, well, it's important because when you realize God's power, you realize that you can have courage for the present. Past is washed clean, now what about now? You've got courage for the present. No matter what you're currently going through, God has the power to get you through it. Healing, forgiveness, pr providence, breakthrough, the ability to resist temptation and sin. Guys, we have to tap into that power. It's all right there. You just got to say yes and amen. And I want to walk in that power and I want to thank God for the resurrection of Jesus which ushered in his power. And thirdly, it assures us of God's triumph. His triumph. That's what I was talking about. Like, he won the war. First Peter, the Apostle Peter writes in chapter 1, Praise be to the God of, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And, here it is again, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And in all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have, you may have had to suffer some grief in trials. So he's saying, hey, look, I know, I know things are shaken up pretty heavily for you right now, and I know that you are experiencing all this stuff, and I know that everything around you is going crazy. 
But he says that you may have to suffer that for a while, but greatly rejoice because my power and my inheritance is set forth for you. Conviction for the future. Faith is for the present. Hope is for the future. And you have to have a level of conviction to look ahead. And you got to know where you're going. Now, I, I don't know. So, if you guys, I don't know if anybody in here is a benefactor of a trust fund. I'm not. And I think it's great for those who are. And I know there's some people who inherit trust funds that are really, really big. And, and I know that, that a lot of money can really hurt somebody really badly. But think of it this way. How many of us, if money was just not a worry or concern for you, would feel like it would be a lot easier to live life if I just didn't have to worry about my bills? Amen? I mean, that, you know, maybe you're not saying anything, but I know every one of us is probably like, yeah, I'd take that. Sign me up. But I think there's a level of confidence that comes with an inheritance. It gives you some kind of peace. And, and thank goodness for those that prepare some, you know, some kind of gift, whether it's a legacy gift or whether it's the Bible of the patriarch of the family or maybe it's some financial blessing. But, but thank God for those who prepare away. But it gives you a little bit of confidence, a little bit of assurance. But God has set up the ultimate trust fund for you and me. It's the ultimate inheritance, and it says that it can never perish, spoil, or fade. And that's where that scripture, I think it's 1 Corinthians 9 or something, says that why don't you store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy? If God stores it all here, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall apart. It's going to fade away. It's why these athletes that make millions and millions of dollars end up broke in bankruptcy. It's going to go away. But God's triumph ushers in an inheritance for you and I and the full possession of his power, and he's storing all that up for us. A little bit in this life, but a lot in the next to come. So you're, you're saying, great, Brian, awesome. This is all sounds really good. Well, that, what is, is there anything else that we can look forward to? Why, yes, there is. There are. Uh, Philippians 3.21, Jesus Christ, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Can I get an Amen. Anybody feel like your body's a little bit lowly lately? Ain't functioning like it once was? Every believer, every believer will get a new body. A perfect body. And honestly, if you're picturing like The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, or I don't know, the latest supermodel, Christy Brinkley or something, I think you're selling yourself a little bit short. I really do. Because the greatest body you can imagine is going to be a million times better. Because it says right there, it's going to be like God's glorious body. It's going to be like, what do you say, a body of a Greek God? The body of the Christian God. That's what you get. That's what I get. And I think that this alone should be enough to get a lot of people's attention. <laughs> Hello? Like, I want to follow that guy. I want, to, I, want that, I, want the, I want the body of God. God be up there like Oprah Winfrey. You get a body. You get a body. You get a body. You get a body. That was really bad. I don't know why I even said that. I had to laugh at that. I'm thinking God's like, yeah, you get one too. You get one too. But here's what's crazy about this. Like, every one of us is dying every day. Like, our, our body decays and our mind decays. And it's crazy, this journey of life, because you start, you know, you're born into this world an infant, and everything's got to, like, grow and mature and establish. And you get to a certain age, you're kind of in that prime age, I don't know, whatever it would be, 25, 30 years old, or whatever it is. And then, kind of from there, like, you know, you're at the pinnacle and then things slowly kind of go back down this way and they digress and we, we're slowly dying and decaying. 
But the, the most fascinating thing in the world to me is, is that the very last moment, when this thing is done, it's over, light switches off, that exact moment is the moment when you begin the journey to a new, perfect resurrection body. The moment of ending is the, is the exact moment when everything starts for eternity. You may have to endure 10, 20, 50, 80 years of not-so-greatness, but you're going you're to endure billions of times that number for all eternity with a new resurrected body. Okay, all right, so, so guess what? I actually feel pretty good about my body, but I could use a new house. Awesome. Guess what? You get a new house too. And I don't know how you would describe your current home. There's lots of ways to describe homes. In, in fact, it's kind of funny because most small towns across America, when, you, when you're driving into these small towns, they usually have a billboard with the name of the town, and there's usually some kind of like slogan to describe these towns. There's some pretty funny ones. I want to share a few with you this morning. Um, Gettysburg, South Dakota, where the battle wasn't. San Andreas, California, it's not our fault. That's like a double play on words. It's not our fault. San Andreas' fault. <clears throat> Here's a cool one. Garden City, Missouri, a touch of heaven on Highway 7. Garden City, get it? How about Manhattan, Kansas, the Little Apple? Gravity, Iowa, we're down to earth. Weed, California, we'd like to welcome you. That's kind of cheesy. This is my favorite, though. Gas, Kansas. Don't pass gas. Stop and enjoy it. Got it. Don't pass gas. Stop and enjoy it. There's a lot of great taglines out there. There's even taglines with restaurants that they use, like the home of phrases. You could, I could think of a couple. The home of the Whopper. Where's that? Burger King? What about the home of the 99-cent value meal? Wendy's, I heard it. Wendy's? It's like trippity. Wendy's? Yeah, you got it. Winner. But the Apostle Paul tells us, excuse me, the Apostle Peter tells us in 2 Peter, check this out. He says, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. The home of righteousness. That's how Peter describes our new home. So we're one day going to live in the home of righteousness. And you know what that means? It means no more lying, no more stealing, no more pride, arrogance, slander, deceit, no more envy, no more lust. The home of righteousness. Won't that be glorious? And wait, there's more. You say, Brian, I'm pretty good. I like, my body's all right. I'm pretty healthy and I like my home. But I could use a new job. I could use a new job. Revelation 22.3, no longer will there be anything accursed, including work, right? Because we know the, the fall of man, they said the ground was cursed and then, then we began to toil in our labor. He says, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and his servants, that's you and me, will serve him. You need a new career? God's got a job out right now and he's looking for some worthy and willing men and women to come serve in his throne room. I'll be the jester. You guys choose whatever you want. And they're going to be laughing at my jokes, I promise you. And perfect friendships. Listen, I will tell you a mystery, 1 Corinthians 15. We will not die, but all will be changed. I think you're talking about this emotional, like the character, the personality, we're going to be changed. And man, I know some of you are really like lonely right now. And I know, I know some of you have been betrayed really badly and hurt. 
And I'm sure that there's somebody that you really just feel like you want to just give a piece of your mind and let them know how they need to change. God's got you. He says, if they're in Christ, they're all going to be changed. But guess what? Prepare yourself. Because as he's changing the hearts and men of other women, he's probably going to take the time to change you and me in the process. He's not going to look past us. we got our own work to be done. And then perfect leadership. At God's side forever. The perfect leader. No more fallen presidents. There's no more bad generals. There's no more horrible bosses or parents that said bad things to us. It's the perfect leader. God, our creator. So listen, it doesn't have to be Easter for us to usher in the death of death. It shouldn't be one day a year that we contemplate how good we're going to have it. That doesn't mean that this life shouldn't be great too. Listen, there's blessings in this life and we should enjoy and receive and give thanks for them. But we should probably reset our expectations a little bit for this fallen world and these sinners that we're journeying through it together with. Our forever home awaits us, amen? Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you have a forever home prepared for us. Thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, you paid all of the penalties of sins so that we could have the freedom to put away, to take out the baggage that we've carried through most of our life, tuck it away forever, but that we can approach you, God, at your throne face to face. We thank you that we can look ahead and be ready and prepared for a new body and a new home, for hope and conviction and assurance in this life that we'll get through. Lord, whoever needs breakthrough, whoever needs healing, I say yes and amen. Lord, we're glad to be called children of you, the most high God. And Lord, we receive the gift of the resurrection and the life of Jesus Christ that we may too enjoy that inheritance. So thank you, Lord, for your praise and glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.